Okay. First Corinthians 15, 1 to 11. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved, and if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also, as to one abnormally born. For I am the least of the apostles, and do not even deserve to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the, but by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace to me was not without effect. No, I walked harder than all of them, but yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Whether then it is I or they, this is what we preach, and this is what you believed. Thanks, Kemi. Let's pray and ask God to uh, give us understanding as we reflect on these words. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are not simply broken people. Uh, we're not nearly, merely needy people. Lord, we're sinners and rebels uh, under your just judgment, apart from Christ. And there's only one way that we can be reconciled to you uh, and indeed that we can be put right with you. And that is through the good news of what you've done in Jesus. And so, Lord, we ask that as we reflect on that this morning, that you would press those truths deeply into our hearts. Uh, Lord, that if we already know it, that you would enable us to hold firmly. Uh, Lord, if we do not know it, that you would help us to receive it with great joy. And Lord, also that uh, knowing it and receiving it, we also might be able to cl clearly explain it to others. Lord, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know if you've ever noticed, but kids often ask really good questions. Uh, they ask the kinds of questions that adults don't like to ask. Uh, I have a friend who says that uh, actually what we do is we train people not to ask questions as they become adults. So kids ask the questions that are really important and then adults stop, learn to stop asking them. So uh, kids ask questions like, how does a light work? As adults often we're too embarrassed maybe to ask that question because it might show that we don't understand something. Or kids ask questions like, where did God come from? And where did I come from? And the thing about those kinds of questions, those big kinds of questions, is that as you come to answer them, it shows how well you have or have not understood something. So if you struggle to explain how a light works uh, to your kid, 
you might have thought, well, I, actually, I think I know how it works, but as you come to explain it, you struggle. It shows that you haven't really understood it as well as you think. And it's the same with the core message of Christianity. If someone comes to you and asks you what the basic message of Christianity is, how would you go with that? How would you go in explaining the basics of the Christian gospel? Would you stumble your way through it? Or would you be able to explain it clearly, straightforwardly, simply? How well you do with answering that question may not simply reflect your ability or lack of ability in evangelism, but what it may actually reflect is your grasp or lack of grasp of the gospel itself. So it's often because we haven't understood the gospel clearly for ourselves that we struggle to explain it to others. But here in this passage, God wants to give us a basic refresher course on Christianity, on the core message. And as we'll see, that basic message of Christianity is not only important uh, for explaining it to others, we not only need to know it so we can explain it to others, we need to know it also for ourselves. So here in this passage, Paul wants to do that. He wants to remind the Corinthians, he wants to remind us of what the gospel is. He says in verse 1, Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. Now, before we get to what Paul is saying, it's helpful to stop and remember or to think about what the word gospel actually means. Gospel is an old English word, uh, and it basically means, it simply means, good news. And that's exactly what the Greek term that was used in the New Testament, that's exactly what that word meant as well. Often in Greek, the term would refer to the announcement of a victory in a battle. Or maybe the birth or enthronement of a king. That was a gospel. That was good news. In other words, a gospel is a news report of something good that has happened. So you might say something like, oh, did you hear the gospel how Australia knocked England over for 200 runs? That's a gospel, right? It's good news, unless you're an English supporter. The gospel is the news report then of what God has done in Jesus. And Paul says he wants to remind the Corinthians of that news, even though they already know it and have already accepted it. At one level, that's a little bit peculiar, isn't it? He says, you know it, but I'm going to remind you of it anyway. It's a bit like maybe going to school every year and being put in the same grade again, never making it past prep. You know it, you know the material, here it is again. But Paul wants to remind the Corinthians, he wants to remind us of the prep truths of Christianity. Why is that? The reason, he says, is because it's on that news that they've taken their stand. It's on that news that they've staked their lives. They've committed themselves to the truth of that, and they've staked their lives and their futures on it. Just like learning to read and write, like you do in prep, uh, just like learning to read and write gives you the foundation of what you do every day, the basics of the gospel are the foundations of the Christian life. 
You don't move on from them. You keep using them. You keep living them every day. The good news of the gospel isn't something that you enter through. It's not information that you hear and then discard. It's not a doorway that you enter through and then leave behind. Rather, it's the room into which you enter. The gospel is the room itself. For that reason, Paul wants us to be really clear on what the content of the gospel is. So he says in verse 2, By this gospel you are saved, if you hold firmly to the word I preach to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. So Paul says we're saved by knowing, standing firm and holding firmly to this news. That's why it's so important to get right, because we're saved by it. And Paul goes so far as to say that if we don't get it right, and if we don't hold firmly to it, then we've actually believed in vain. We need to be clear, in other words, on what God's news is about Jesus, and we need to hold on to that news. So, quite a common idea in our time and in our society is that all roads lead to the top of the mountain. Uh, That is, all religious truth is equal. So Hinduism will get you to God and Islam will get you to God. But the Bible says that's not true. Not all truth is true. Being clear on God's news about Jesus matters. It's by that news that we're saved. By the news about Jesus. Jesus, for example says the same thing when he says there's only two paths. There's the narrow way, that is, that's the path that leads to God through Jesus, and there's the wide path. That's every other path that isn't Jesus. Not all paths lead to the top of the mountain, Jesus says. There's only one path that's a narrow way. Hinduism, Islam, Judaism, whatever it is, science, those things don't lead to God. We also need to recognise that Not every path that has the label Jesus on it leads to God as well. So you might have heard of the Church of Jesus Christ of the Latter-day Saints, the the Mormon Church. Names the name of Jesus, but is a different way. Is not clear on the Gospel. Jesus says that many will come to him on the last day and say, didn't we prophesy in your name and in your name drive out many demons? And Jesus will say, I never knew you. Here are these people who did great, who knew the name of Jesus, who did great things for Jesus, but actually never knew Jesus. They didn't hold firmly to God's news. And so, Really, as we think about this, we've got to ask ourselves the question, am I clear on what the news about Jesus is? Are you clear on what the the good news is? If you're not, or if you're unsure about what it is, then you need to get it right. You need to find out, you need to discover, you need to be clear. Ask somebody to explain it to you. Come and speak to me, speak to uh, your growth group leader. Find out, sign up for the Christianity Explored courses that we run. Because getting God's news about Jesus right matters. So too, not only do we need to get it right, we need to hold on to it once we've discovered it. Paul says we are saved by 
holding firmly. There are some people who hear the news about Jesus and seem to understand it and accept it at some level, but then leave it behind. Sometimes it gets left behind because it gets distorted. So they, they, they hear it, they understand it, but then over time it sort of morphs. It's like, it, it's like you know, a, a story about someone going fishing and they catch an, an enormous fish. Well, it starts off maybe as a fish this big and then over time the story gets more and more extravagant. Uh, the, the story d- d- gets distorted over time. And the same thing can happen with the gospel. People leave the Bible behind and so their idea of what the news of God is about Jesus becomes distorted. Instead of listening to the Bible and being reminded of the truth, they maybe listen to their own hearts or listen to their favourite YouTube channel or listen to their favourite pastor or favourite friend or whatever it is. We need to make sure, not only that we hear and understand the gospel, but that we keep holding firmly to it. Sometimes, too, people know the right news, they've understood it, and it doesn't become distorted over time. They just begin to hold less and less firmly to it. So the worries of the world and the deceitfulness of riches drag them away from God. Has anyone seen Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade? It's pretty old, hey, but I, I don't know. It's, on, it's one of those movies that's always on television, uh, I think. So you, you, even if you're a bit younger, you've probably seen it. But at the end, he's searching for this great treasure, the Holy Grail, and at the end he finally finds it. And there's this scene, uh, they carry it out of the cave, but then this, because of that, there's this great earthquake and the ground splits apart. And the cup, the grail, falls into this chasm and so does Indiana Jones. And there's this moment where he's hanging there. He's hanging by one hand, a friend grabs him and holds his arm and is trying to pull him back up to safety. And with the other arm, he's stretching out to try and grasp the treasure. And there's this moment where he has to make that decision. You can see see it in his face. He has to choose life. Or the treasure. And it's the same with the gospel. We have to make a choice. We can't hold on to both at the same time. We can't have the life that comes through Jesus and the treasure of the world around us. We have to decide. Paul says you need to hold firmly to the truth. And holding firmly to the truth means letting go of everything else. Maybe that's the kind of position that you're in. You know the truth, you know the gospel, you're really clear, you're really sharp on it. But maybe the question is for you, are you tempted to let go? Worries of the world, the deceitfulness of riches. Paul says, God says to us, don't let go, hold firmly lest we have believed in vain. So we need to be clear on the gospel. We need to hold on to the gospel. That's the first thing. Second, 
what is the gospel? What is the good news? What's God's news? Well, Paul tells us in verses 3 to 8. He says there, it's a classic summary of the gospel. He says, For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day, according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared also to me as to one abnormally born. So Paul says four things here that encapsulate for him the gospel. He says Jesus was died, Jesus was died. Jesus died, he was buried, he was raised, and he appeared to many. So two of those things are more crucial. So his death and his resurrection are central. And then the other two, that is his burial and his appearance to many, kind of serve as confirmation of the other two. So first, the gospel then is the news that Jesus Christ died for our sins. So he didn't die as an example of love. He didn't die as an example of sacrifice that we're to imitate. He didn't die to show us how precious we are. He didn't die because our lives were in a mess and he wanted to empower us and help patch us up. He died, the gospel says, for our sins, for the things that we committed against God, for the rebellion that lives in our heart. He died because we have wronged God, rejected God, disobeyed God, and we stand under the wrath of God. And Jesus died so that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. He died to fulfill God's judgment against us in himself, so that those who trust him might go free. He died for our sins, according to the Scriptures. Second, he was buried. That is, he really died. He didn't just fall asleep. He died. He was buried. He was left in the tomb. He was dead. Third, he was, ro he was raised on the third day. So normally, people stay dead. They stay dead because death is God's judgment on sin. But Jesus didn't stay dead. He was raised by God and he was raised because he was perfect. Although he took on himself on the cross the condemnation for our sin, he himself was perfect in every way. And so the penalty, death, eternal death, did not hold him. His resurrection was a vindication by the Father of Jesus' righteousness and holiness and perfection. He died, but he rose again on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. Fourth, he appeared to many witnesses. So he didn't just rise from the dead and stay in hiding, but he appeared to lots of people. Paul lists there numerous people that Jesus appeared to. Peter, then separately to the 12 apostles, then 500 other people. Paul tells the Corinthians, many of them are still alive. You can go and ask them what they saw, what they witnessed. Later, Jesus appeared to James, his own brother. 
and then also to the Apostle Paul who's writing this letter. The fact that so many people witnessed Jesus' resurrection gives us confidence that it really happened. It's what historians call multiple attestation, uh, which is a fancy way of saying that if I come to you and tell you that a car exploded in the Woolworths car park, that's only one person saying it. And you might think, oh, Carl, oh, he's generally reliable, mostly, uh, except about fishing stories. Uh, but re the rest of the time, he's pretty reliable. But you're still maybe going to doubt it. And then, but then if 12 other people come and tell you, we saw a car explode in the Woolworths car, car park, you might, then you start to think, gosh, this probably happened. If another 500 people then come after that and say the same thing, then you're almost certain that it really took place. And that's what Paul is saying here. Jesus' death was witnessed by many. We can have confidence. The Corinthians can have confidence. We can have confidence that it really happened. But also, Paul points out how Jesus' death and resurrection fulfill the Old Testament. They match up with God's promises in the Old Testament. Jesus didn't just turn up on the scene out of nowhere. He came and fulfilled the things that God had promised. He died in accordance with the Scriptures. He was raised in accordance with the Scriptures. If I just turn up on the scene and say, here I am, uh, I'm the Messiah of the world, I've just, you know, who is, who is there to say that I haven't just made it up on the spot? But Jesus has come in the fulfilment of things long promised. Those are the historical facts, Paul says. That is the news of what God has done. That's the gospel. And as we reflect on that summary of God's news for the world, it's important and helpful for us to clarify exactly what the gospel is, but also what it isn't. So notice, first of all, that the gospel is not a list of instructions about what to do. You don't turn on the news at the end of the day, if anyone still watches the news on television, I don't know if people do that, but you don't turn on the news at the end of the day or open news on your mobile phone app in order to learn how to live. You turn on the news in order to find out what's happened. And it's the same with the Bible's good news. The Bible is not chiefly a book telling us how to live. It's not setting out the conditions that we need to meet in order to make God happy. It's not a syllabus for a course. It's the news of what God has already done. The gospel, as is often said, is not do, but done. And our part is to recognise that and to accept it. To hear the news, accept it, and to put our trust in that. Second, the gospel is not the story of how God has worked in your life. It's not a set of instructions. Neither is it the story of how God has worked in your life. If God has brought you to see what he's done in Jesus, that's wonderful news, but it's not the good news. What God has done in your life is not the gospel. Third, neither is the gospel the story of how God has helped you put your life back together. It's not the story of how you found meaning and purpose amidst 
the frustration and the misery of life. Those things might be true, but again, they're not the gospel. They're not the good news. At best, they're implications, ripples coming out from the centre of the pond, but they're not the gospel. The good news is not the story that you used to feel guilty and now you've found peace. That's not the gospel. Nor is the gospel the story of how you used to be ashamed of so many things and now you've learned to accept yourself and to be accepted. That's not the gospel. There's a debate that goes on in missionary circles about the gospel and shame versus guilt. So people talk about the West as being a guilt-based culture and the Eastern cultures as being a shame-based culture. And uh, in the West, apparently, we feel guilty and so we think that the problem that the gospel solves is our feelings of self-condemnation. And in the East, our problem is, the people's problem is that they feel ashamed And so the problem that the gospel solves, they understand, is that feeling of shame. And the question that people ask is, which one of those views of the gospel is right? Is it our feelings of guilt or our feelings of shame that the gospel solves? But actually, both those views are wrong. Both those views have missed the mark. That is, the problem with both those views is that they're entirely self-focused and entirely therapeutic. The gospel becomes not about the news of what God has done, but about a problem with myself that I need fixed up. They're about how we feel about ourselves rather than the fact that we stand condemned before God. We're objectively guilty, irrespective of whether you feel that as feelings of guilt or feelings of shame is immaterial. We're objectively guilty. And our realisation of that guilt might make us feel guilty, it might make us feel ashamed, but those feelings are not the problem. They're just the symptoms. More importantly, the good news is not primarily what God has done in your life or how he's made you feel or how he's enabled you to accept yourself. The good news is what God has done in Jesus' life and death and resurrection. The good news is the message that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, has died for sins on the cross in accordance with the Scriptures, was raised from the dead on the third day, appeared to many witnesses, and now reigns at the Father's side from where he shall come to judge the living and the dead. That's the gospel. That's the news that we need to hear and understand, accept and take our stand on. We can either accept it or we can reject it. It's helpful, finally, to think about what that means. What does it mean to hold firmly to news and to take your stand on the basis of news? How do you do that? Well, imagine for a moment that Australia is conquered by another country. Foreign power invades and takes over our country. And things start to fall apart. Government starts to fall apart. 
And although life is worse in some ways, you actually don't mind too much because the lack of stable government means that you can pretty much get on with your own life and do what you want. So in the end, it kind of works out. There's some sacrifices, but it works out okay. But then the news comes that a powerful general has landed in the north of Australia. He's making his way down and he's conquering that foreign power. He's freeing people and he's re-establishing the rightful rule of government. Now he started in the north of Australia and Australia is a big continent. So it takes a while before he gets all the way down to Tassie. But he's on the way. And you've heard the news that he's landed and that he's making his way down. Now, irrespective of what you do, that news is true. It just is true. You can accept it, you can reject it, it doesn't matter. It's just true. Moreover, you don't need to do anything to make anything happen. The general's coming, he's winning the victory, you're just waiting for him to arrive. Nevertheless, how you respond to that news changes everything. You can, for example, stake your life with the current government, the foreign power, in the hope that the general will lose and you can keep the life that you've grown accustomed to. Or you can stake your life with this general whose forces are retaking control. You can abandon your current life and put your hope and your trust in this general who's coming, who's winning this victory, and you can wait with eager expectation for his arrival. And you can begin to live in expectation of him, living under his rule, even though he hasn't quite made it there. And when he finally comes and makes it to Tassie, the ends of the earth, he'll rescue you because you've staked your life on who he is and what he's doing. And it's much the same with the gospel. What God has done in Jesus' death and resurrection is done. We don't add anything to it. We can't add anything to it. But we do need to respond to it and stake our life on it. I wonder if you've done that. If you've staked your life on the news of what God has done in Jesus. Maybe you've been confused about the gospel and so you've been trying to live according to a set of instructions to try and make things happen. God says, no, the gospel's not something that we need to do. It's something that's been done that we need to recognise. Maybe you've staked your life on yourself and how you've changed or the fact that you're basically a good person. Again, that's not the gospel. The gospel is what God has done in Jesus and you need to stake your life on that. Then again, maybe you're clear on what the gospel is. Maybe you know the news of the gospel. But maybe you're like Indiana Jones, stretched out, 
making a choice. Holding firmly or letting go and grasping after whatever it is you can get here and now. God wants us to be clear on what the good news of Jesus is. He wants us to stake our life on it and to hold firmly to it. Let's pray. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we we thank you for the wonderful news, the amazing news of what you've done in Jesus. That he died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. That he was buried, that he was raised from the dead in accordance with the Scriptures and appeared to many people. Lord, we thank you for that news of what you've done, which is finished, perfect, complete. And Lord, we ask that you would enable each one of us to stake our lives on that, to hold firmly to it, and to not let go. Lord, if any of us here have been trusting in ourselves, in our own goodness or success or virtue, Lord, we turn away from that now, we we, we give that up and we trust in what you've done in Jesus. Lord, if any of us are in that situation of straining to hold on to this world and at risk of letting go of the news of the gospel, Father, we pray that you would enable those people to let go of the world, let go of their life, and to take hold of Christ and all that he's done. And Lord, if we're in danger of distorting the gospel, Father, we pray that you would help us to remain clear on what it is that you have done. And Lord, we pray that you would help us to hold firmly to that, not only for our own eternal salvation, but Lord, we pray that you would help us also to proclaim the good news of what you have accomplished in Jesus, so that many more might be saved. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.